Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem with Steve Statler. We just announced yesterday with uh, the new Nearby service that this is now going to be built into the Android operating system. Just, I got so much grief for that. I have learned I will never do that again. Yeah. Uh, marketing encouraged me to do that. They thought it was awesome. You know, <laughs> that's the fundamental difference: is that we have effectively this two different ends. We have something that's very closely tied to Google services and all the benefits that can come with that, and then you've got something that's a lot more lightweight and more kind of of the web. So they didn't even have to do anything. We just literally came in, took thirty beacons programmed each one to kind of go to their URL for each exhibit and put them up and we were done in 20 minutes. Well, I want to acknowledge your point that right now the Google PWS, the physical web service, is kind of a central point for us, but the point is, is that we very much want there to be others and we've built it that way. Welcome to the latest episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem. My name is Steve Statler from Statler Consulting. We're doing this uh, program in partnership with our friends at Proxbook. And today we are using a Google Hangout to talk to Scott Jensen, who works within Google and is probably one of the most influential people in our industry. This show is rather strangely billed as being a set of interviews with uh, CEOs. And uh, Scott actually isn't the CEO of Google, but he's probably- Not even close. <laughs> he's probably done more than most of the CEOs in the Beaker system in terms of shaping where things have gone. And anyone who's heard of the physical web or Eddystone URL has Scott to thank. So Scott, let me thank you for that and also for being a part of the show. Happy to talk. Glad to be here. Very good. So maybe you can explain a little bit about what uh, your role is. It doesn't seem like Google's terribly hot on titles, but what's what's your role within Google? 
Um, I guess you would loosely call me the project lead for the physical web. Uh, this is a project that I uh, conceived of and I pushed very hard on. I came to Google as kind of a team of one and got the classic 20% work happening, got an uh, initial demo done for Google I.O. back in 2014 and just kind of grew it from there. That's uh, awesome. Well, we should, I think a lot of people that have focused on this business know what the physical web is, but there will be some people that don't. So we should probably start off and have a brief recap. I, I really want to go into some of the background and what's happening in the future and uh, what you're seeing, but, but we should orientate people first. So do you want to give us a, a few minutes introduction to what the physical web is? Yeah, sure. Uh, what we're trying to do is to basically infuse the web into the, the physical world. You should be able to walk into a location or up to a device and be able to interact with it with just a tap. And the web has this superpower that you don't have to install anything, you can just go. So whether I'm ordering a fast burrito from a particular vendor, or whether I'm getting a map at a mall, or whether I happen to find a dog that looks like he's lost and I want to be able to find his owner. All of these things are these light, ephemeral in, in interactions that kind of start with information, but can then be interactive. So this idea is that you can discover effectively information for things and objects around you. So it's really a discovery, a discovery mechanism that uses beacons to, uh, to broadcast URLs, is that right? We currently use beacons because they're, as I say, kind of like the new, the current black. Everybody likes beacons. Everyone's talking about beacons. But what we're really trying to do is to say our goal in the physical web is to find URLs around you. And beacons are the first step. We actually have built into our prototype app, the one that's on the GitHub, we actually have uh, MDNS support built in, which had a little bit of a hiccup because of an Android, Android, you know, Android library issue. But we have every intention of expanding to beyond uh, just beacons. And what is MDNS? MDNS is the uh, discovery mechanism within Wi-Fi. So you can be in your home network and then you can broadcast and say, hey, who's got stuff to share with me? And then all the devices that want to respond can respond. So when we first implemented MDNS, uh, I went home and I, I fired it up and I saw my router and I clicked on it and my router actually had a web page and I could configure my router through the physical web. It just worked for free. So in this way, all of those Cisco, Aruba, Wi-Fi access points could be broadcasting URLs that could be part of a, a browse discovery experience. Exactly. And then, of course, once you do this, this actually opens up the door. This is not really a business case, but opens up more of a maker case, which means any Raspberry Pi can install a little tiny MDNS server in them, and then they can say, hey, you want to connect to me? Here we go. And so it makes it really easy for people uh, to be able to make their device discoverable through Wi-Fi. They don't even need a beacon anymore. So this is clearly more of an experimental thing, but we feel like it's also going to encourage a whole new level of interactivity for these devices. But at the moment, the center of gravity is around Bluetooth. It is. Um, and it's kind of interesting because beacons are traditionally associated with these kind of push triggers where they're driving pop-ups and um, engaging with people that are not really paying attention. But that seems to be almost like the opposite of what you're doing. 
Uh, agreed. I mean, that was the clearly the first model. The first model was this idea that you would write an application for a particular retail store, and then when you walked to the store, you'd get some kind of push notification. And, and it's it's a little frustrating because it feels like the whole world is imprinted upon that model. And every time I talk about the physical web, everyone seems to want to reinvent that, as opposed to the fact that we're trying to encourage this idea of no, there's just stuff around you, and you ask for it. And we very much are against this idea of a push notification. Uh, people often say, oh my God, this is going to be spam. And we're like, well, actually, we're, you will only pull down the notification manager, see there's something nearby. If you want to see it, you click on it. So you've opted in and then you see a list and we're going to do our best to rank them for you. And then you just pick the one you want. And, and if there is something in there that you don't like, then you ignore it. So we're trying very hard to make this a pull notification, I mean, a poll experience that you have to ask for to a list of things that you can ignore if you want. So it's really trying to respect the user's attention. It seems like, you know, being part of Google, you have a lot more, um, maybe it's self-confidence that, that people will do this. Whereas those of us who've kind of been in the startup space, and I know you've worked for smaller companies as well. I have. But, uh, you know, there's this anxiety that no one's going to do it. No one's going to swipe down. Are, are you confident that people are going to actually look around and explore this stuff? Because if I'm in a startup and I'm betting my future on the physical web, it would just be really horrible if, if no one swiped down. No, I mean, and that's a fair, fair point. We're trying to create this broader ecosystem and we are taking the long view. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that are saying, can't you give me an exception? Can't I alert the user? And yes, that would possibly win in the short run. But then, of course, for those of us who've been around long enough and remember Bluetooth push messaging in the late 90s, when that first came out, it instantly became a spam vector and you'd walk on the street and be like, buzz, 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 buzz. And so having lived through that, I knew I didn't want to reproduce that. Now, at the same time, we appreciate that this is maybe more analogous to what, say, Wi-Fi was maybe in the early 90s, which is you'd go into a coffee shop and they'd have a big sign, we've got Wi-Fi, or there'd be the Wi-Fi inside sticker, and you'd have to like teach people what an SSID was, and and it took time. And now, of course, you know, many years later, you just expect there to be Wi-Fi. You just open up your laptop and you just go. And so we expect that that right now we have to kind of get enough people to have the beacons, to be broadcasting. We've got to get people used to being able to do it. And it will be this slow thing. So if you are someone who is risk averse, then you probably want to wait until there's a few more people doing it. But fortunately, we have people, you know, like Transport of London. We've got all sorts of folks that are jumping on this. Um, and so there are people that are kind of the harbingers that are running and doing it. And just let them go for a few more months and they'll gobble up some good fun space and um, and it'll grow. But it's I think it's okay for us to think kind of slow and steady in this particular case and have it eventually go. Cool. Well, I'd like to return to some more examples of where people are using this and what's interesting you in terms of the partner ecosystem. But before we do that, let's just make sure everyone's clear about what we're talking about. So these URLs are being broadcast uh, and presumably this is a physical web logo. So maybe people will learn to recognize that and think that there's some interaction that can be done. And you know, what are the differences? How do I discover this on Android versus how I discover it on iOS? Well, on Android, um, 
there's we initially shipped it on Chrome, and it would be a notification that would pop down. We just announced yesterday with uh, the new nearby service that this is now going to be built into the Android operating system. So it's similar experience. You pull down, you'll still see the notification, then you'll see a list. But instead of being entirely within Chrome, it's now part of Android proper. So I think we have a fairly good story on Android. Um, however, that doesn't mean that Chrome still can't do something. It can't show you things on a on a new tab page, or and there's lots of directions that we could go. We're still talking about that. Um, Opera already has something like that on their on their page, and there are other browsers that are considering it. So even though there's the notification model, you can still do things within the browser itself if you'd like. Um, obviously, for iOS, uh, we have limited choices right now. So we have the application in our store, which. We don't expect lots of people to install, but it's there for people to play with. And then we have Chrome for iOS. And that but application is the physical web app. There's a physical web app that you can install if you wish. Um, however, let's be clear, the best solution for, for consumers is for Apple to do it. And we would be thrilled to have Apple do it. And so that, this is part of being on the open web. So we're doing it through the best mechanism we can which is both Chrome and, you know, as a standalone app. But we hope that as this grows, that, you know, other platforms will do it. And, like, frankly, as we have more energy, this should be on desktop and it should be on Chrome OS and it should be on other platforms as they, as they come about. So do you have any grounds for optimism that Apple might adopt this? It seems like they're almost in uh, anything that you can do is not something we want to do. They want to be very differentiated. I mean, it, it's a very dangerous game uh, and a foolish game to speak for anybody else. Yeah. Um, I'm very heartened by the fact that Safari has their tech preview. They clearly are moving much faster than they have before. There's a, a lot of activity going on uh, in Safari these days, supporting more web standards. Apple is clearly moving in a more aggressive way to support the web than it has ever had in the past. So this, to me, is a really good sign. Um, and I would assume that it's entirely up to Apple to say, when the physical web is huge, will consider it, and that's perfectly reasonable. So I'm not going to fault them for not jumping on the bandwagon right now. Um, but for, but as the physical web grows, I hope they would consider it. That's great. And I think you've done gone beyond the expected in terms of making this kind of a non-partisan issue. You've been really careful in the way that you talk about it. And uh, so hopefully it's not ruffling feathers and, and that decision will just be made on its merits. Um, can you... Tell us a little bit about uh, the history. How did you think of this? And, and when did you think of it? Did you come up with the idea in your 20% time? Or did you join Google with a view that, ah, this is a company that could really take this idea and uh, do something with it? I started, I, I started publishing and writing fairly late in my career. And so in 2011 for, I think it was Interactions Magazine, I wrote an article called The Coming Zombie Apocalypse of Smart Devices. And uh, and it was about the fact, like, and because I'd been in mobile for an awful long time, I was just like, hey, these smart devices are coming. This seems like a problem. And it was just more kind of me as a UX designer saying, I'm scared. And, and that was the article that started it. And then I wrote a following article about the UX of data, about moving things in the cloud. And I started, and I so, and like so often, one article kind of leads to the next. I just kind of followed my nose. And then um, I was at Frog Design at the time, and then I wrote uh, the blog post called um, "Mobile Apps Must Die," uh, 
which taught me very, very clearly that you should never, ever, ever have a clickbait article for a title. I mean, a title. For, I was just, I just, I got so much grief for that. I have learned I will never do that again. Yeah. Uh, marketing encouraged me to do that. They thought it was awesome, you know. Um, but that got an awful lot of traction, and that was the one that kind of really got things going. And it's where I kind of really laid this thing out, and um, and um, and so it just kind of grew over time. And 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 I, this is what I love about and where I kind of fell in love with kind of the open source idea of how you take your ideas and you share them and you vet them. And so I would talk about a smart toaster and people would say, that's ridiculous. No one wants a smart toaster. And I'm like, well, you're right. They don't, but they probably want a toaster with a manual, you know, and they want a toaster with recipes and they want, and, and, and then I, that was where I kind of developed my idea of a stupid device, you know, and then and how actually having a web page for a stupid device is actually kind of awesome. And I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't been talking about it in a slightly naive way. And becoming more nuanced. So this took about two or three years for it to mind and mature. Um, and before it became clear, like, no, really, honestly, just, just a web page is a cool idea. And so, um, however, that being said, I can't tell you how many people have told me this is an absolutely stupid idea. Um, but because it's so simple and it's so minimal and it's such a thin layer that it allows the web to be awesome on top of us. So we're just solving this one little issue, which is to get you to the web fast. And then as the web gets more and more awesome, we kind of end up looking even cooler, but it's almost kind of an accident, to be honest. So do you think you would have got to where you ended up in your thinking if you hadn't been writing about it? I mean, clearly writing helps other people know what you're thinking, but do you think it actually changed your thought process, your creative oh, process? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and more than more than anything else, speaking about it. So um, I would I would give a talk and I'd get a ton of questions and half of them I couldn't answer or I'd answer them very poorly. I mean, I specifically remember speaking at... Um, uh, Mobile interactions, I believe it was in Amsterdam, and I got a really tough question with the smart toaster, and I just was like, "Damn, I really messed that up," and then it forced me to really think, and then I got another another article out of it, and so you know, but that's just to me this this whole community of ideas, and again, that's what also kind of started me realizing that when we we did this, it has to be open source, and it has to be on GitHub, and we have to have these conversations, and so I think we've really kind of used that crucible to make sure that these ideas are vetted and discussed by the community. Fascinating. Um, so this was all done at Frog Design, or the early days was at Frog Design. How did the transition to, to Google happen? Did they know that they were hiring the architect of the physical web with a view to you actually making it happen? It's kind of hard to claim it was so deliberate. I think it was just an opportunity for me to come back to Google. They'd known me before. Um, I made a pitch to them that... Um, I'd really like to make this work. I think they were kind of like in many cases with Google, they just hire general general people to do general projects. Mm -hmm. um, I was given a little bit of a runway to say, hey, let's see how far you can run with this. And um, and so that's where I spent those first six months, you know, trying to cobble together 20% time and and talk my way into Google I.O. So if I hadn't been able to put something together probably in six months, I think it would have been very different. But fortunately, it worked out the way, that way. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, let's um, let's talk a little bit about um, something. Go back to something that you mentioned, which was uh, this has moved from Chrome into Android. And at one level, I understand what that means. But what are the implications of that change? Why why make the change? It's just simply a matter of saying, oh, 
you know, this is shouldn't necessarily this this is probably better as a system service, so that you know whether you have Chrome or not. The point is, you can always find these things, and then when you click on it, it'll take you to whatever you know browser that you happen to have. Right? Again, Android has this intent model, so that way, if you don't use Chrome and you actually have another browser installed, you can still get these URLs and still launch them into your browser. So it seems like the right architectural way for it to go. Okay. And so this used to be called URI Beacon, and you've got the physical web, and now it's called Eddystone URL. Is there any difference between Eddystone URL and the physical web, or are they just synonyms? We initially, what we started doing is we wanted to talk about simply the beacon itself and then the service that looks for the beacons. So when we first got started, we called it URI Beacon. Um, and then as it matured and kind of, you know, metamorphosized into a proper thing that Google kind of sanctioned, it just changed its name to Eddystone. So, and in Eddystone, of course, has multiple frame types, one of which is the URL. So in a sense, you know, the, the URI beacon became the Eddystone URL frame. Um, and that's just simply the beacon layer. And then the physical web is meant to be the service that finds them. And that's helpful because, as I said before in our conversation, we want to be able to find you know URLs using Wi-Fi, for example. Well, in that case, we won't be using Eddystone at all, but we'll still be finding URLs. Interesting. So is there any uh, integration? I mean, you've got a naming integration. You've got Eddystone UID, um, Eddystone TLM. You've got then proximity API, which is this way of keeping track of where beacons are. Is there actually any integration between Eddystone URL, the physical web, and the rest of Eddystone? Well, Eddystone, again, are just these basic frame types, and they can be used in multiple ways. And so much like the physical web, I think, is a scanner for URLs, the nearby API is the scanner for UIDs and TLM packets. And so it's, a, it's kind of a Google service that's built on top of those. You don't have to use the nearby API to use you know, the, U, the Eddystone UIDs. So it's just simply, a, a, you know, it's Android has a scanning service to find these beacons and tie them into the Google infrastructure. So just a, just a service layer on top. And I don't, do I have to, I don't have to have registered an Eddystone URL beacon with the proximity service, which is something I need to do with a TLM or UID beacon. Is that correct? That's, that's the fundamental difference is that we have effectively this two different ends. We have something that's very closely tied to Google services and all the benefits that can come with that. And then you've got something that's a lot more lightweight and more kind of of the web. And the story that we tell there is that we're really excited when, for example, a small high school you know, in Tennessee decides they want to put up a beacon on their trophy case so that when people walk in, they can see YouTube videos of how those beacons were won. That's just a principle that just basically took that beacon, just slapped a URL in there and just stuck it up and boom, he didn't have to ask anybody's permission. And that's exactly... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The kind of the spirit of the web that we get excited by. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things that excited me when I first heard you talk about it. And the fact is, I mean, I believe you're cutting the cost of entering into this beacon ecosystem by a couple of orders of magnitude, if it takes, you know, 100K or even less maybe to create an app, um, you know, I think there's a large number of people in my family, my kids, my wife could create a web page that could work with, uh, with Eddystone URL. So you've really lowered the barrier to entry. Well, it's like we just did an experiment using um, Beacons with the Computer History Museum here in Mountain View. They already had a mobile website and they had pages for the key exhibits. So they didn't even have to do anything. We just literally came in, took 30 beacons, programmed each one to kind of go to their URL for each exhibit and put them up and we were done in 20 minutes. You know, so see that's so if you are, I often get this question, well, what's the SDK for the physical web? And I'm like, it's the web, you know, so if you have a web page, you're done. And then you just simply just scatter a couple of beacons around. So it's important to think, it, it, it really kind of shifts your thinking, right? Um, and so as long as you can kind of start with a web page, it, it gets really easy from there. So I don't know whether you found this, but I think when you, whenever you work in a large company that just inherently has a lot of power in the market, then there's a lot of suspicion that, that gets levied at you. I used to work at Qualcomm, and I was just amazed at how emotional people would get about stuff that really had nothing to do with me. But, and they would sort of think that there was this vast conspiracy. So where this is leading to is I think, you know, in the past, Google has done things in retail, especially where retailers have been very suspicious. But um, so the distinction that I think is really important is that the fact that people don't need to register your URL beacons with this proximity API. So Google doesn't necessarily know where these beacons are. But um, the thing that then kind of pricked up my ears and I just for, for a moment was concerned was when you, you've started talking more about the proxy, this proxy, and that mm -hmm. seems to potentially be this way of keeping track of things and inserting Google into the flow. And, um, yep. totally so fair is question. Possible. Is that right? No, absolutely. I mean, I love this question because it's how we, we've talked about it. Um, what, the, my, the running joke, I say, is that everyone loves open source as long as you do all the work. Right? <laughs> and so right now we have the beacon. We've got lots of examples of beacon code, and we have a couple of different scanners, iOS and Android, and there's Node.js, and then we've got a bunch of different scanners. All of it's open source, and we have our proxy service as a scanner. It's available on the GitHub. Now, right now, no one's building those because they want us to establish the market. They want everything to be kind of established and safe and, and perfectly validated so that anyone can come in and it's perfectly safe. But then, of course, you point out that then we're the only one that's written the proxy service. Now, that's why, though, we are thrilled that Opera has done their version and beta and they have their own proxy service. So if for some reason you don't want to use Google, use Opera, and it works perfectly well. And honestly, we really hope that other people do proxy services. Now, we understand, though, that 
you know, that a proxy service is not something that an, ad, an individual developer will do, and most likely a browser company will do it. And it's a bigger, more, you know, substantial thing to invent. But here's the critical point. <laughs> At any point, anyone can write it, and everything will work exactly the same. So if people want Google to kind of take the lead and do all of this, great. As soon as this physical web becomes a runaway success, these things can happen, and because all the URLs are being broadcast in the exact same way, there's no advantage. I mean, anybody can have a competing one. They can still find the same beacons. They can still rank them, right? So we very much want to kind of, in a sense, be on the right side of history. And we really believe, as, as you've talked, I, mean, I very sincerely believe that we have to grow the pie because it doesn't work. It's not a long-term plan to create a, a, a siloed system that locks people out. And so uh, we just, so I, I want to acknowledge your point that right now, the Google PWS, the physical web service, is kind of a central point for us. But the point is, is that we very much want there to be others, and we've built it that way. And let's, I may have skipped over this a little bit. Can you just um, give us the basics on what, what are the benefits of using that proxy service? It has, um, I, I, if on my blog at jensen.org, I have an article about privacy um, that maybe we can kind of include in your notes that talks about all the different things that we do because we deeply want to protect the user. So if I can quickly go through, um, the beacons broadcast one way so that the beacons don't know that you're there. So the beacons can't track you. We then get the URL and then we don't hit the website directly from the phone because then the website could track you. We go to the PWS and the PWS then contacts the website on your behalf most of the time it's already cached so therefore it doesn't it, it's in, it comes back right away and that saves you a ton of data so let's say you find six urls you send one request up to the host you get all six back and then you get the title the favicon the description and so again that protects the user so that they can't and, and in fact if it's cached the website doesn't even know that anyone is there and then after you get the lists then you say oh i really want to go to you know, the movie theater, and you click on it. Now, of course, you're going to a web page, but now you've you've opted in, and the user has made that volition. So these are all the advantages, both from a data point of view and from a privacy point of view, that I, we think it makes a huge difference to be able to have this. Okay, so you're doing what Google does best in terms of the sorting, the prioritizing, the relevancy, but there's also kind of a, um, a, a level of indirection that protects people's privacy. At, at multiple levels, by the way, and that's also, by the way, why we require HTTPS. Uh, we're getting a little bit of grumpy response to that. Um, it does make it a little bit harder for people to kick tires and get started. But again, HTTPS is all about preventing snooping and man-in-the-middle attacks. It's ultimately much, much better for, for consumers to have that. So we're really trying to lock this down so consumers are in control and safe. So why is Google doing this? How did you, I'm assuming you kind of had to sell this internally. What, what, what were the benefits that you pitched and why do you think the uh, people that control the purse strings have decided to go in on this? Because they really do seem to have committed, which at one time there was like, those of us that thought, this is a fantastic idea, but is it really going to get adopted? And everyone was worried that it wouldn't appear in Chrome. And now it's actually right into Android. But why? I, I get this question a lot, which is like, how are you guys making money? I mean, as if making money in, you know, in the short term is the only possible reason to do something. And to me, it's the answer is 
well, like, how does the web make money? Well, the web doesn't. The web is just this big, giant, awesome thing, and then you can find individual pieces to do it. And so what we're trying to do is to say, Pi, let's just make this big, awesome, next level of the web be in this physical space and and the only way that's really going to be trusted and explored and and used is if it's just like the web there'll be lots of ways for many companies to make money on top of this that won't be the problem the point is it's not going to succeed unless we build it like the web has been built and so and i think google and that's why for example this came i mean i like to say this comes from google but it really comes from chrome chrome team also is it's just a browser right and it's just about and it's open source and it's trying to make other browsers better it's about improving the web and so in that sense i think the physical web is very much in the overall spirit of chrome which is just let's make the web better so you if i was the finance guy in google then i would just look at this and said say this just makes the pie bigger and, and we have so many different ways of monetizing a bigger pie this makes sense to do is that a reasonable Dumbing well, that conversation, of course, never. That's you know totally hypothetical. But I mean, the whole reason Chrome doing Service Worker, for example, right? That, another cool web technology, yeah. or Chrome sub championing web Bluetooth. I mean, what's the money? Pro you know, well, there's no money thing in either one of those things. But what it is is it just makes the web more useful and practical, and we're able to do more interesting things. So to me, it's just like Service Worker and web Bluetooth. It's just another technology that just makes the web awesome, and that's kind of why we're here. Yeah. And so I don't think you necessarily have to have a finance guy approve it. You just have to say, is this like the other 25 things we've already done? Right. And it's exactly the same as those other things. So that's why it fits. Can we, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that this is huge, but can you share some metrics in terms of how big this is? You know, how many Android phones are there out there? How many phones is the physical web on? Do you, are you able to talk about any kind of sizing in terms of adoption or rate of adoption that you're seeing? Um, well, I mean, the fact that we're on all Android phones obviously speaks for itself. Um, there's a few of those out there. Um, and the fact that we were on Chrome is also quite large. Um, the biggest issue for us, though, is that because, again, we take privacy so seriously, the users have to opt in, right? We just don't start – I mean, we do – show you that there's something that's nearby and you, we offer you to opt in but if you say no then we never bother you again and so part of our issue is yes we're on every android phone and we're on lots and lots of iphones but we have to get users to actually turn it on so there is that kind of hurdle that we have to kind of work on um as far as adoption goes we, we only really shipped an android two months ago and we only shipped an i'm sorry we only shipped an and um chrome android two months ago and and android yesterday so it's too, it's just too early to say all i can tell you is our uh, our physical web service is getting a lot of hits Right, and people are playing with it and getting a lot, a lot going on. So we're very excited to see that people are getting are using this a lot. Cool. Uh, and what are people using it for? Um, uh, it would be great to spend a bit of time exploring a, a breadth of use cases. Just now that we've discussed kind of what it is, how's it actually being used? I mean, it's being used in so many ways, and that's the part that's just so awesome to me is that it's being used in ways that we hadn't en envisioned. I can massively geek out with you about URL redirectors. There's amazing things happening at that space, but the the big thing that we talk about is kind of 
the, the hello world of physical web, which is that you've got like one beacon and you've got one URL. And that could be used in a retail space, that could just be used for an, an object that you want, you know, and so forth. And then the next space beyond that would be like what we did at Google I.O., which is you have the same URL, but now you take 15 beacons and you just spread them around. So now everywhere you go at Google I.O., you pull it down and you can get the schedule. And it's that kind of, oh, it's just a web page that makes people's eyes kind of go, this isn't my grandmother's beacon. You know, it's just in, in this idea of having a single URL, whether you have one or many beacons is the first thing. And it allows you to do conferences. It allows you to do simple retail. It allows you to do mall maps. It lets you do lost dog collars. It lets you do vending machines. You know, it, it, it even lets you do like real simple, like um, trail maps where every time you go on the trail map, you can get something. So this is an incredibly simple model of a single URL on a single beacon to a single web page, and yet look at what it unlocks. Now, we can get more interactive, and I can crank it up for you if you want to, but I'm just saying is I think this basic pattern of having a place or a thing give you information, we're seeing being used by lots of people. Yeah, I, I think that simplicity is really uh, exciting as far as getting people to start, um, but there's a lot of places you can go. We had uh, the CEO of uh, Proxima on um, I think our uh, second or third show, and uh, he was talking about this work that they'd done with uh, the buses and uh, Good stuff. Um, yep. yeah, that, that was very exciting. And that almost, it's, it's sort of using some of the things that you were talking about, I think service workers and so forth, where this um, boundary between what you'd expect from an app and what you'd expect from the web, it really does seem to finally be blending in a, at a level that it never has done before. Are there kind of appy type things that you can talk about? What have you seen that has taken it to the other end of the spectrum? Well, and this is what I meant by the fact that we're doing this razor thin thing, right? We're discovering a URL and taking you to the web page. And the web is just getting, the mobile web is just getting awesome and it makes us look good. And let's be clear, it's the, we're just, the web is making us look good. So the Proxima example, if people aren't familiar with it, uh, I mean, sorry, the, the Transport for London example is you get on the bus, you see the, the, the notification, and it says, hi, you're on bus 53, here's the next 10 bus stops, when are you getting off? And you click on the bus, and then because it's a progressive web app, it registers for a push notification. So you said, yes, you turn your phone off, or you put it to sleep, you put it in your pocket, and then when you get close to that, that stop, your phone will vibrate because you've opted in now. The physical web is not vibrating, the website is vibrating, and you, you get and you get off. I mean, this is awesome, and the physical web had, didn't change. Our API didn't change. Um, so that's, to me, uh, to your point of the push notifications as a good example of these things getting really, really cool. Well, uh, I know because uh, we talked a little bit about music, and that's going to be at the end of the, uh, the interview. We have similar taste in Dave Rubeck, Steely Dan, uh, but I think we also share uh, an interest in vending machines. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I used to have one in my office for several months um, with, with a beacon inside it um, back in the Qualcomm days. Uh, and, and that was just really cool because you have this web thing that's controlling a very physical thing that is, you know, most vending machines are so old-fashioned. Um, I'm interested in just hearing any other examples of physical web enabling control of devices. Is there anything else? No, that uh, that's a great setup question because, first of all, I mean, the first thing I built was a vending machine, which I, you know, I bought on Craigslist and I hauled it into the office myself and I ripped out the guts and put in a Raspberry Pi. And um, people are 
often like, wait a second. I mean, I have, I have fingers, I have quarters, what are you doing? And we're like, well, two things. One is we're just trying to just show that it's possible. And second, it, it unlocks a whole series of things. Imagine going up to a vending machine that sells $80 objects and so forth. And now you can kind of do it in a much more interesting way. Or you could buy things for friends. Or you could walk up to the vending machine and goes, hi, Scott, I, do you want to have a Coke again today? Or guess what? We're going to offer you a two for one. And so the, the vending machine can now offer you a types of interactions that you can't get with just putting in quarters. But um, And that uses what we kind of called a cloud pass-through, where the vending machine has got internet, I've got internet, and then we rendezvous in the cloud. So that when I click a button on that website, the website sends a socket to a web socket message to that machine and it drops the candy. And when people see that, they don't appreciate how fast this all is. Um, but what gets people really excited is this web Bluetooth. And then if you go to uh, physical-web.org, that's kind of our landing page for the GitHub, um, we have an examples page with a bunch of videos. And one of them shows this little robot that you can drive around. And the robot's broadcasting a URL. It actually is an off-the-shelf robot that has off-the-shelf Bluetooth 4 BLE built into it. And um, we just basically find the web page, connect to it, and then drive it around. And so you can literally walk up to the toy and start to control it. And um, I, we just think that really blows people's minds because people realize now that you can really do things with objects in front of you and not have to install an app at all. Really lightweight stuff. Very good. Hey, one detailed question, back to the size piece. Um, all of this is dependent, if you're using Bluetooth beacons at least, that people have Bluetooth turned on. Do you have any insights as to how many people have Bluetooth turned on at the moment versus turning it off because they're worried about their battery or... We've done a couple of preliminary, uh, you know, surveys and poked around and gotten pretty strong numbers, like over 50%, and we feel that number is growing. It's mostly growing because of things like Bluetooth headsets and car stereos and things like that. Um, if the rumors are true for the new iPhone 7, it's going to be even higher because that's all Bluetooth-based. So we definitely see that it is not this really super low number that everyone's worried about. It's actually high enough. And, um, and again, most people turn it off for old reasons. People mistakenly believe that turning Bluetooth on sucks your battery. And that was true early, early on when we had bad Bluetooth chips, but now it, it, it takes hardly anything at all. So we think that's going to change over time. Very good. And uh, lastly, uh, anything else that we can cover on the future? Where, where do you think this is going? It seems like, you know, almost your work is done. You've kind of, you did the evangelism, you've got it really embedded into the operating system. Are you going to move on to something else or is there still a lot of work to be done? Oh my goodness. No, yeah, yeah, this is just, just, just day one. I mean, obviously what we talked about before, we, we have Bluetooth and now we want to work on other transports. We also want to continue to improve the user interface because as people rightly point out, if this is successful, this could be noisy, right? You could find lots of things. And so we're going to then start to get a more sophisticated UI. And again, this is where multiple scanners can kind of compete and keep each other honest. So we'll move to a mark, uh, uh, something where we say, oh, look, at here's the top X beacons that we know because people click through. We know that these are the more popular ones, but guess what? Here's all the other ones that you might want to see or possibly even let you search and then give you sublists. So we think that ex uh, you know, um, taking the UI, improving it, uh, always improving the filtering and the, sp the spam and that kind of thing, um, we have, for example, in the Android version, we've added this feature so that you can swipe away a result. And then once you swipe that away, you'll never see it again. Let's say that you really, really don't want to see 
you know, Sam's hot dogs or something, uh, and you happen to work next to Sam's hot dogs, then you swipe it, and it's, it's just gone. So again, that level of control to people, um, we're experimenting with ideas about saying, oh, I want to like star this one so that this is another, like I, you always want to see your home control system. So we feel like putting an awful lot of effort into how these things are ranked and sorted and presented to users will keep us busy for a little while. That plus transports. Excellent. Well, Scott, I think that's it from uh, my side. Um, I really appreciate your time. It's been fascinating talking to you. You really are uh, making a change in, in people's lives in terms of the way they use this technology. And it's been a real privilege to uh, pick your brains and hear what you're thinking about and how we got to where we got to. Well, there were great questions. Happy to be here. Thanks. Cheers, Scott. So Scott, I don't know. Did you have you seen The Martian, the movie The Martian? Oh yes, and read the book. All right, very good. I, and it's the kind of thing that I can imagine, like they'd show everyone at Google. They'd almost like required viewing. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, so anyway, so the, the so the the question is, um, if you were The Martian, if you were this uh, lone person from NASA, you're stranded on the planet, um, and you have to, um, you're basically supplying your own music. Which would be the three albums that you would be listening to for that year plus that you're stuck on Mars? Ah, okay. Well, definitely not disco. Right. <laughs> I mean, we'd definitely not do that. Um, I actually, so um, I have to say that it, my, my listening has changed dramatically over the years. It used to be that I did have my albums, I collected them, and I coveted certain things, right? Yeah. And so there's the albums that I just remember growing up with that have a strong nostalgia for me, like Brubeck's Take 5, for example. Oh, that's a that's classic. That's, that's on my list. I know. It's, just a, it's a classic, and you can listen to it forever. Um, yeah. But then, there, then there's the high school album that I listened to literally in my car like a thousand times, which was Steely Dan Asia. You know, I just... I just I have that album memorized, and it's just so emotionally cathartic for me just to just let that album play because, of course, it just, it just takes me back. Yeah. Um, and then probably uh, if I just kind of just needed that kind of I really like things like the Brandenburg Concertos when I just simply just want to kind of you know and I want to think and I just want to just have something to kind of keep me kind of put my brain on rails. Um, so I have something that's kind of more engaging, something that's more kind of historical, and then something that's, you know, just, just kind of what you need to get the work done. And um, I have to admit, I've listened to all of those qu quite a bit. Um, in fact, to a certain extent, I'm actually trying really hard these days to not listen to those anymore and to force myself to listen to new artists. Oh, I can empathize with everything that you've said. I think we were probably born similar time and love Steely Dan, even though I, I grew up in England and that, that they weren't quite as big there. Okay, well, thanks very much for sharing that. That's fantastic. Oh, sure. No problem.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.